Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Welcome back to another Great Deception podcast. I'm Don Britton, and today I want to ask this question. Whatever happened to the gospel of repentance? You know, the gospel being the good news, and repentance is the very key that leads us uh, from our sins and into a relationship with God. Virtually every time I hear the so-called gospel presented today, whether it's on the radio or on the internet or on Christian television or on a printed track or any kind of a Christian magazine, the word repent or the word repentance is missing. It's just not there. Yet the words of repentance and the terms and the principles regarding repentance appear in the Bible at least 200 times or more from the Old Testament all the way throughout the New Testament. Repentance always has been the only basis by which men could come to God and be forgiven of sin. Yet it is obviously missing from the modern gospel presented today by virtually every denomination and every ministry that's out there. It's almost impossible to find anyone really preaching against sin or standing against sin or telling people that they must repent of sin in order to be forgiven and to be saved. It's virtually in every denomination and every ministry out there. If you remember back in the, even in the book of Genesis, the Lord spoke all the way back to the very beginning. He spoke to Cain regarding the sin that was crouching at the door of his heart when he was angry with his brother Abel. And the Lord told him, he said, the sin is, has its desire for you, And you must master it. In other words, you must repent. You can't just go on being angry with your brother. And as we know, Cain didn't didn't repent. He he went ahead and rose up and killed his brother Abel. And if you read even further in the book of 1 Kings and also in Chronicles, you'll see where Solomon prayed this very powerful prayer that he offered for the dedication of the temple. And in this prayer, he made request of the Lord to be willing to, to forgive his countrymen of their sins if they repented. And of course, that was always going to be the condition. And if you read about Job's trial and all the sufferings he went through, and Job, you know, the Lord sort of uh, rebuked Job some during that time and said, you know, where were you when I laid out the heavens and so forth and so on? And he kind of put Job in his place because Job was mumbling a little bit and complaining a little bit. And the Lord put him in his place. And then Job, it says that Job repented of his previous remarks or attitudes that he had. And he did so in dust and ashes. I mean, he was really, uh, he really was uh, grabbed by the heart. Even though Job was a righteous man in the beginning, had never really walked in sin or lived in sin. In fact, it said of him that he was always turning away from evil. But even when the Lord spoke to him in his misery, Job repented from even the attitude that he had taken on. And then, you know, later on, the Lord restored to Job more than he had even had before. So the Lord really restored him more than 100%.
And in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was crying out. He says, for thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But he goes on to say, but you are not willing. That was, that was a condition Israel was in at the time. And this is way back, you know, thousands of years ago, there were t- the, the prophets were talking about repentance and talking about salvation. You know, that repentance was a condition of salvation. And then Jeremiah, the prophet, he was the prophet of the Lord. And you can read the book of Jeremiah and you can see how Jeremiah is having these several discussions with the Lord concerning the people of Israel, how they were refusing to repent from their idols and their sins. And the Lord was responding back to Jeremiah and Jeremiah was making excuses at one point. He says, oh, it's the false prophets. But the Lord said, but my people love it so. But he goes on to say, the Lord goes on to say, during these long discussions with back and forth with with Jeremiah, he said that he was willing to forgive the people if they would turn from their sins and from their idols and turn back to the Lord with all of their heart. So there again is the condition for forgiveness, the condition for salvation, the, the condition to be restored to the Lord is always through repentance. And then, you know, you can go to the book of Ezekiel. And the Lord was speaking to Ezekiel again, telling Israel the same thing. He says, tell the, go, to, go tell the people, speak to them and tell them to turn away from all of their idols and their sins and to turn back to the Lord with all their hearts in order to be forgiven. In fact, this scripture right here in Ezekiel, uh, it says it all. It says, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies because of it, for his iniquity which he has committed, he will die. Again, on the other side of the coin, though, again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all of his transgressions, which is repentance, by the way, which he had committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. And the Lord goes on to say in verse 32, he says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. And so he says, therefore, repent and live. So in other words, living, having life, having eternal life, being saved, however you want to put it, is always connected to repentance. That, by the way, was Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 26 through 28, and verse 32. And then you go over to the New Testament, and here comes John the Baptist. You know, we all know about John the Baptist. And it says, it says, uh, you know, in Matthew, it says, now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So again, his message was repent. He didn't say, just come along and ask Jesus in your heart or just pray the sinner's prayer or just accept Christ or just believe that he's the son of God or anything like that. He said, repent. Repent of what? Well, repent of your sins. Repent of your rebellion. Repent of your idols. Repent of your lust and your greed and your selfishness and all the things that keep you from having a relationship with God. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, then Jesus came along, and that was, by the way, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. And then in Matthew chapter 4, 
Here's Jesus. He came along. Jesus came along and it says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the Baptist said it. Now Jesus is saying it. You must repent. You're not going to get in the kingdom of God unless you repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is life. It's heaven. It's eternal life. It's all the things we all hope for. But without repentance, there will be no kingdom for us. Well, then Jesus came along and he took on some disciples and he trained them. And then in Mark chapter six, the disciples of Jesus, here's what they did. Then the disciples of Jesus, they preached. It says they went out and preached that men should repent. So they're preaching the same message. It's the same message that was given to Cain all the way back in the book of Genesis. Same message that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the other prophets were bringing to Israel back in their day. It's the same message that John the Baptist brought along and then Jesus brought along and now the disciples are preaching the same message and all the messages were repent in order to be forgiven. In other words, repent in order to be saved. And Jesus was even explaining this a little further in Luke chapter 13, verses four and five. He said, or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Shalom fell and killed them were worse, were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? He said, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, if you don't repent, whoever he was speaking to, whether it's his disciples or the crowds he was talking to, he's speaking to us if we read it. In other words, what he's saying to us, he's saying to everyone who reads this or hears this, just because some terrible things happen to somebody else and you think maybe they were terrible people and they really deserved whatever they got or maybe they were they were cursed or something because this terrible thing happened. He says, no, I'm not saying that. He's saying, unless you and I repent, unless we all repent, unless we all turn from our sins, we will all likewise perish. That's the message. And then, you know, well, we know what happened then. You know, Jesus walked the earth for three years and preached and his disciples preached and then Jesus went on to heaven. And then on the day of Pentecost, there was Peter standing before all those people who had come to Jerusalem and he was preaching. Here's what he did. He, he told them that Jesus was the Christ. They told, he told them that they had crucified the Messiah. He told them that they were, that they had done terrible things. And so now it says, now when they heard this in the book of Acts, it says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you won't be forgiven of your sins unless you repent. That's Acts 2, chapter 2. I forget which verse it is, but anyway, you can find it. Well, concerning repentance again, being the gospel, the message of the gospel, in Luke 24, this is after Jesus had walked on the earth, had done his thing, and had been resurrected from the dead, had been crucified and resurrected from the dead, and his disciples were walking along the road one day and then Jesus joined them. He disappeared with them. And then it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Luke 24, verse 45. And he said to them, 
Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And so what's happened to this? What's happened to repentance being proclaimed? I don't find repentance being proclaimed anywhere. Do you? Does your pastor talk to you about repentance from sin? Does he stand before the pulpit and tell you that if you are practicing sin that you will not inherit the kingdom of God? Or is he tickling your ears, making you think you're okay with God? Just, you know, that God understands that we're just all human, we're all sinners, and we're saved by grace. All you had to do is pray the sinner's prayer, or all you had to do was join the church, or get baptized, or do some good deeds. Or what? what is he telling you? What is the message you're getting? Are you getting this message that if you're still, are you being told that if you're still practicing sin that you have no hope? I really doubt it. I don't know any, any denomination that's bringing that message today. Does your church bring that message? I hope it does. Well, here's Jesus now speaking to the churches in Revelation chapter three. He's speaking to the church and he says to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? Here's what Jesus is saying. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. And we know that's Jesus, of course. He says, he says to the church, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you're dead. Now, this is a typical American church today. You know, they have the name that they're alive and people think, oh, this is a great church. We have a wonderful worship service. We have a really sweet, nice pastor we have several good programs. We have a beautiful building with stained glass windows and very comfortable seats and really plush carpet. But he says, you're dead. So he goes on to say, he says in verse three, this is Revelation chapter three, verse one, I just read now in verse, I'm sorry, verse two, I'm in verse two. He says, wake up. He's telling the church to wake up. He's not telling the lost and dying world to wake up. He's telling the church to wake up. He says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, church, I will come like a thief to you, church, and you will not know at what, what hour I will come to you. Church, he's talking to the church. But you have a few people in Sardis, and you can say a few people in America or a few people in the, the church world who have not sold their garments. He's talking about sold their garments with sin. He's talking about not living in pornography or adultery or fornication or deception or gossip or slander or angry tempers or jealousy or all these things that it says in the book of Galatians and other places that if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom. But the church is full of all these things. But he says, I have a few people who have not sold their garments and they will walk with me in white for they're worthy. And he goes on to say to the church, he says to the church, verse five, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Well, that's a strong statement. Do you hear what he just said? 
if you overcome, he will not erase your name from the book of life. Does that not tell you that if you don't overcome, that he will erase your name from the book of life? I don't hear denominational preachers or ministry preachers or television preachers saying that, that it's possible to have your name erased from the book of life. Do you? Have you ever heard a message on that? And he goes on to say, I will not erase your name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And he goes on to say, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches, to the churches, to the churches he's speaking this. So what do you think he's saying today to the church in America to the denominational world today, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Catholics, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, you know, the Lutherans, on and on and on. What is he saying? Because the American church with the studies that have been done is in just as much worldliness and just as much sin as the rest of the world. In fact, the research is recently done shows that something like 78% of church-going men are in pornography on a regular basis. Something like 33 to 38% of church-going women are also in pornography on a regular basis. And here's what's even, even worse than that, is that at least 50% of all the pastors in America, all denominations included, are in pornography as well. And the statistics also show that people that are in pornography typically commit adultery and fornication, and they typically get involved in other kinds of, of uh, immorality. And so it just goes on and on and on. That's just one aspect of the sin that's in, a church, in the church in America today. So what do you think the Lord is saying to the church? I think he's saying, repent and wake up. Or he's going to erase our names out of the book of life if we don't repent as a church. So... Let me say this, repentance is a complete turning away from the practice of sin and a total turning towards the Lord. Repentance is not just making apologies, saying, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I've known of people that they go out and commit fornication on Saturday night and go to church on Sunday and say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, and might even go up front and confess at the altar and then go back the next week and do the same thing again. That's not repentance. Repentance is to stop committing fornication, period. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. And of course, that's by practice. It doesn't mean that a a believer can't stumble and, and unintentionally sin or maybe even do something he shouldn't know and better at some point, but quickly repent. But what it's talking about is someone who lives in sin, someone who's in pornography every week, someone who commits adultery on a regular basis, someone who can, who consistently tells lies or someone who has an anger problem and has outbursts of anger on an ongoing basis or someone is always jealous or greedy or steals or lies or cheats or whatever. They, their, their lifestyle includes all of these things. It goes on to say they cannot be born again if they're practicing sin because he's born of God. So again, repentance is not just saying you're sorry. 
but it's a complete turning away from sin. That is the sin, you know, sin that you know that you're doing, sin that you 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 can that you in other words, willful sin that you see and know that you are committing. Repentance is to turn away from everything you know. Everything is from within you to turn away from every known sin. And if you're still practicing sin, and practicing means you're doing it repeatedly, then you have not repented from that sin. For example, if you if you used to get drunk every weekend, and now you only get drunk on the holidays, you're still a drunkard. You haven't repented of being a drunkard. You're still getting drunk. Maybe not as often. Doing better is not committing a sin less often than you did before. But it's doing better is forsaking that sin altogether. In other words, if you were a drunkard and you had a problem with alcohol, you repent of, of, the, of the abuse of alcohol altogether. You completely turn away from it. Hebrews 10.26 explains this better. It says, for if we, we, we who? We believers, we Christians, we who have turned to God, we who have given our lives to God. If we Christians, here's what he's saying, if we go on sinning willfully, willfully means you know you're doing wrong and you're not stopping it. If you go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, and that knowledge of the truth, if you look it up in the Greek, it means to know the Lord intimately. You're in a relationship with God. You're, you're, you're a branch that's hooked into the vine. You belong to Jesus. You're in the vineyard. You're in the kingdom. You belong to the Lord. And if you go on sinning willfully after this, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries the adversaries are those that are the adversaries of god and he goes on to say anyone who has set aside the law of moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses and you can go back to to number 16 they found a guy out there uh, picking up sticks on the sabbath and of course the law said According to the law, you could not do any work on the Sabbath. So this guy's picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And so they brought him to Moses and he said, well, they said, what do we do? He said, well, what does the law say? And they said, well, the law says anyone who breaks the Sabbath is to be put to death. And so this poor guy who was just picking up sticks out here on the Sabbath, they took him out and they stoned him to death. They killed him. And so that's what he's saying here. He's comparing how the law of Moses, you died without mercy on the testimony to three witnesses. Now, think about this. Now, we're talking about the law of Christ. Now, we're talking about the gospel law. We're talking about the law of Jesus Christ. Now, he says now in the next verse, verse 29, he says, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? In other words, this is worse than the law of Moses. This is more severe than the law of Moses. And he says, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. In other words, he was saved. He was forgiven. He was cleansed of his sins at some point in the past and has insulted the spirit of grace. How much severe punishment do you think he would deserve? Well, see, this poor guy, he just got stoned to death physically. But in this case, 
this believer is going to go to hell for this. It, he would he would much be better off if he just got stoned to death physically, but no, he's going to lose his soul now. And he goes on to say next in the next verse, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord would judge his people. He's not talking about just anybody. He's talking about his people. He's not talking about the lost and dying world. He's talking about the church. The Lord would judge his church. And the last verse there I'm going to read in verse 31 says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, if you're a Christian and you say you've, you belong to Jesus and you, and you're so-called saved and maybe you were and you then go on willfully sinning or you go back to your old sins or you get caught up in sin and you start practicing sin. How much severe punishment do you think you're going to deserve that poor guy, than that poor guy who got stoned to death picking up sticks on the Sabbath? You're going to lose your soul because what you've done now, you have trampled underfoot Jesus and you have regarded unclean his blood that he died and shed for your salvation by which you were sanctified and forgiven at one point and you have insulted the spirit of grace well, what does grace do? Titus 2.11 says that grace has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny all ungodliness and worldly desires and to live righteously and godly in this present age. So how did you insult the spirit of grace? By going on sinning willfully after being saved. By simply disregarding that grace was telling you not to sin. Grace didn't cover up sin like the false teachers say today. Grace instructed you not to continue in sin and you insulted that grace. So then vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay and the Lord will judge his own people. There you go. That's, that's why it's such a terrifying thing now to fall into the hands of the living God as a Christian who has gone on willfully sinning after the, Jesus shed his blood for you, after his grace told you not to sin anymore, after you were supposedly uh, have repented of your sins and now you're gonna go back and practice sin. So, do you really think that you can practice sin and somehow be forgiven? One time I was a member of a Baptist church, you know, 40-whatever years ago. And you know what? I was an adulterer before I turned to the Lord. And I'm sitting in this Baptist church, and the subject of adultery came up. And they said to me, oh, you can commit adultery and still go to heaven. And yet I read right there in my Bible where it says, those that do this, do not be deceived. Those that practice adultery shall not inherit the kingdom. And they would say, yeah, but we're under grace now. You're saved. I'm going, that makes no sense. Well, that's a lie. So don't fall for that lie. You can't practice sin and somehow say you're forgiven of it while you're practicing it. Forgiveness only comes by total repentance. No unforgiven sin will be able to enter into heaven. Please don't be deceived by today's modern false gospel. If you're living in sin now, I would advise you to quickly repent of that sin and to quickly turn to the Lord with all of your heart. And listen, if you're, if you're attending a church that condones that and everybody else is sinning and everybody's under this thing. Well, we're just all sinners saved by grace and all this stuff, you know, and you're hearing all this falseness. Then I would advise you, 
you know, I'd advise you to run, run from that church. You see, church attendance or church membership or praying a sinner's prayer or making a profession of faith or accepting Jesus in your heart or just believing in Jesus, none of these things will save you if you continue in sin. None of them. This, and this is the condition of 99% plus of the so-called Christians in America today. This is the condition of the church today. The statistics are out there. It's everywhere. Every time you turn around, there's some pastor or ministry leader falling, as they say, falling from grace, getting caught in a scandal of immorality, of pornography, child pornography, sex with kids, sex with members, homosexuality. It's all over the place in the church today. So the church is in terrible shape. Are you one of those that thinks you're okay because you feel good going to church? It makes you feel good. And you're sitting there and you think, oh, at least I'm serving the Lord because you, you think serving the Lord is attending a building somewhere or, or going through a service, you know, paying some tithes, singing a song or two. You think that's serving the Lord? You think that's what he wants from you? Are you one of those that think you can go on and watch your pornography and, and commit a little adultery or, or get caught up in the idols of the world like you obsess over sports or you obsess over your pleasures of some kind or you're, you're caught up in some kind of illegal activity or some kind of immoral activity or some kind of unethical activity, maybe in your business or something. You think you're okay because you think you're saved. If you're one of those people that is 99% of the people in America today that go to church, if so, are you going to continue in your sin and think you're going to be saved? Maybe you should just run from your church and your religion that is misleading you by teaching you these false concepts that salvation comes by another method. Maybe telling you that if you just prayed the sinner's prayer, you're in, your ticket's punched or your, your salvation's secured or something like that. Or, or this false grace message that says that everybody's covered by grace that just accepts Christ. These are all lies. They're not biblical. Or this easy believism where I've been in meetings where they just say, well, if anyone here hasn't, hasn't been saved, just raise your hand or stick up your finger maybe and we'll just, right there, okay, you're saved. That's great. That's great. You just accepted Christ. No repentance, no change of life, no taking up one's cross, no de denying of oneself, no dying to sin, no, no suffering of any kind, no narrow way to go through, no small gate to squeeze through, just hold up your finger and you're saved. That's such a lie. This is a gospel that leaves out repentance as the most necessary step for forgiveness and for salvation. If you're one of these people, I surely hope you will wake up today and turn from your sin and run as fast as you can to the Lord with all of your heart. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine 
The Great Deception. 